This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Learn from everything you do. If it works really, really well, that's fun. It's probably even more important when things crater around you. Learn from that and don't get discouraged. Everybody fails. The difference is if you learn from your failures or if you let those failures control you. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Dorin. Today, we have a fun and exciting interview for you. Dr. John Brumstead announced he's retiring as CEO of University of Vermont Health Network at the end of September. And I asked him to join us to talk about the changing of the guard that's happening across the healthcare industry right now with so many CEOs. We're kind of getting three years at least of retirements in, in one year. And that means a new generation of leaders taking over these very large, complex health systems. Dr. Brumstead, thank you so, so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Trevor, for the interest. It's great. I'll start with a broad question that allows you to kind of look back across your career. How have the expectations of healthcare leaders changed during your tenure? Of course, the last two years have been incredibly challenging and put a variety of new challenges on us. And so how do you expect the expectations are going to continue to evolve? Well, it's a really interesting question, and I'm not sure the expectations have changed at their core. Leaders need to be leaders, need to have vision, need to have passion, need to be incredibly resilient. Maybe the emphasis among those have changed, and it's impossible to separate even a career as long and as varied as I've had from the last couple of years. That just has sort of hit the restart button on everything. What's really changed for me is the need for resilience and to continue to lead and push ahead in just really, really difficult circumstances. I think at a premium, at least what I've relied on is that I spent decades as a frontline healthcare worker, as a provider, and I can only view leadership and the needs to be a healthcare leader through that lens. It's been incredibly helpful. It's helped to have those sort of provider creds with people getting them up every day to come to work in the face of really difficult circumstances. Honestly, myself, I've been a physician about twice as long as I haven't been in my life. It's really a part of me resilience and really having walked in the shoes of the frontline providers that we're asking really tough stuff these days. What do you see in the next generation of healthcare leaders that makes you hopeful they're going to do well in this new environment and be able to tackle some of the biggest challenges across the industry? Almost at any time, you could ask somebody who's been around as many blocks as I have. If you're a glass half or two-thirds full kind of person, you're going to see in the next generation hope and new ideas. I'm blessed with being part of an academic environment. Our network in our region is incredibly rural, but it's built around the Academic Medical Center in Burlington, the UVM Medical Center. So I get to interact with medical students some nursing students, other folks going into allied health. And I remember seeing during the darkest days of the pandemic, every single news program had healthcare workers, frontline workers, stressed, crying in posture of despair. And I'm just going, man, how are we going to get anybody to come into healthcare looking at this? 
you know what? At the UVM College of Nursing and Health Sciences and the Larner College of Medicine at the University of Vermont, this year they have more applicants for positions than they've ever had in our history. There's my hope. And again, old dog, I talk with and mentor a lot of our physicians and clinicians that are moving into early leadership roles. And you can't interact with these folks. You can't do a search for a leader. And we do that usually on a national platform. And at least I have to come away incredibly encouraged. They're full of energy. They're smart as hell. They make me feel real old because they all look so young. I mean, it's there. And these are really tough problems. But every day I see folks a lot younger than me stepping up to solve them. So I'm very positive. That's exciting. That's a fun answer. And anyone going into a clinical role now is tougher than me. So I admire them so much. They're tough and they put the time in. Let's go back to when you were in a clinical role in your early career. You were in OBGYN serving very rural market. What did that teach you about rural specific access challenges? And how did that experience kind of drive you into hospital leadership and guide how you lead UVM Health Network today? It was even before I did my OBGYN residency. It's burnt in my professional brain, just like things get imprinted when you're zero to three years old about life and being a human. It's so deeply seated. I did a surgical internship at Hartford Hospital, and I had a National Health Service scholarship that put me through medical school. And it was determined that since I wasn't going into a primary care specialty at that time, that they were going to take me after my internship and put me in a physician shortage area. So I ended up in far southwest western New York State, a town called Randolph in a physician shortage area. It's actually the northernmost reaches of the Appalachian Mountains, about 90 miles south of Buffalo and about the same distance east of Erie, PA. And that's important because that's where any real tertiary care assistance was. I was in this clinic with a PA, town of about 3,500, 4,000, very poor, incredibly rural. The hospital had a medical staff of 12. And oh, by the way, that hospital doesn't exist anymore. I would go to work and take care of people with their chronic diseases. And with some regularity, something really tough tough medical condition, tough surgical condition would show up at our doorstep again. We were 30 miles from the hospital and we weren't set up to be an emergency room, but that essentially was what happened. And I would spend hours. I remember one case, particularly a gentleman in his 60s showed up with a big mass and he was starting to look like he was septic. It was a Saturday morning. And I spent the better part of that day calling around specialists in Buffalo to see if I could get somebody to see this guy. I certainly couldn't do anything for him, and he was on the brink of crashing. I finally got a surgeon to say, send him to the emergency room and we'll take care of him. But that was a cold handoff to an emergency room after hours. And that happened time and time again. And what came out of that for me was if you're in a rural region, you have to be part of a system of care. If you're out there on an island and for a young provider, it was tough. But think about those families and those individuals who needed care. So for me, that just burned it in. Doesn't matter how tough, doesn't matter how independent people want to be in that rural environment, it's worth taking the time 
putting the energy in to explain to them how they don't need to do everything in their town because they're not going to be able to. What they need is if it's not being provided in your town, you, your family, your provider knows exactly where it is to be provided. Those docs, nurses, they know that part of their accountability is to take care of people from that community and get them back to the primary care in that locale. I was in my late 20s with that experience in that zero to three age as a physician where things are really getting imprinted. Man, that's just never left me, not even to this day. Thanks for sharing that great story. That setup helps so much understand how you've built UVM Health Network as it grew throughout Vermont and Northern New York. Across the industry, so many struggled to really realize the value of scale for their patients, but you did. You scaled to maintain services and improve access for patients. What can other systems learn from your success? What were some of your guiding principles as you grew as a health network? The guiding principle is everything we do is to preserve access to high quality services for the communities that are in our geography. And there is a very large difference between the size of the academic medical center and our next largest hospital is maybe a third that size, very good community hospital. And then smaller and smaller, and we have two critical access hospitals. And both clinically and operationally, financially, it's not a given just because you come together and co-brand that you are going to get any value out of coming together. Whether it's the physician enterprise, we have a large portion of the physicians that serve our area are employed by us or an FQHC for primary care. It starts with having the tough conversation right up front. To create value, you have to give up some autonomy. I guess I should patent this because it raises eyebrows, but I draw this teeter-totter with a fulcrum in the middle with an arrow on one side going up that's value and an arrow on the other side that's autonomy and control going down. Going to a small rural hospital board and their leadership team and say, listen, this isn't a takeover. You get a voice in the room, an important voice, but you got to pitch some decisions and some control both on services provided, but also how the money flows, what we're going to invest in, capital projects, things like that. We have to make those decisions and distribute our resources communally. Once you do that, and that's a tension that's there today, just like it was a decade ago when we got started, but it's obviously much further towards an operating company model where we've brought a lot of the decision-making and the governance oversight into a centralized location. But what you get from that is we've just completed putting the electronic health record in all of our hospitals, all of our physician practices. Everybody's on Epic as of April of this year. Soup to nuts. We're all, except for one of our hospitals, which we're working on right now on Workday. We're all on the general ledger. And for the last two years, what we describe as our core administrative shared services, HR, IT, government relations, communications, that expense as a percent of our revenue for two years has been flat. And from 22 to 23 has actually gone down. 
that tells me as a marker of that administrative scale, we've gotten to a place where we really can get the economies from that scale, but it's intentional. You have to make those investments. It's not a coffee clutch. You just can't get together and say, Eureka, we got a network. I haven't netted out the investments to see when we're actually going to get a return on investment. But for me, that's the value. And you have to do that to be sustainable, at least in our rural region, because there never was enough money, resource people. And over the past, particularly the last nine months with soaring inflation and those other factors we all know of, you really got to share. You're not going to make it. Well said. Okay, now flip the script and talk about the core of your health system, which is academic medicine at UVM Medical Center. What do you see as the future of academic medicine? AMCs, how are they going to continue to stay relevant for consumers, employers, payers? They're facing similar yet distinct challenges from rural markets. Inflation and workforce shortages. You go to any of my colleagues around the country, we're all really not doing well in the not-for-profit academic world because of the escalating inflation. A lot of that is driven by needing to pay appropriately and a premium for the workforce. We're talking a lot about how to train our own, have our own pipelines. That's what academic medicine's all about. We're really blessed to have a partnership with the University of Vermont, which has the Larner College of Medicine and the College of Nursing and Health Sciences. We're working really, really hard to make absolutely certain that we're providing the absolute best rural and in Burlington training sites so that these youngsters get used to it. We have residency programs where the residents now are doing rotations across our continuum, right down to freestanding emergency rooms in rural northern New York to doing rotations in the academic medical center. They get a breadth of those experiences and are increasingly likely to take spots that open up. And on the clinical research side, last time I checked, about 17% of the U.S. populace lives in a rural environment. And there are very specific things that come with trying to deliver healthcare and healthcare services in that rural environment different than an urban environment. And so there is a whole bouquet of clinical research opportunities if you take advantage of the environment that you're in, which our partners at the University of Vermont proper do take advantage of. Academic medicine and academic health science is the lifeblood of providing the workforce of the future, back to what I said at the beginning, that it's really heartening and encouraging the numbers of youngsters that are applying to our educational opportunities. As long as you take advantage of your environment and you pay attention to the relevance of your research programs to your community and to nationally, and you're doing the job to produce the human product that will keep us healthy in the future. I think the future's bright for academic medicine. All right. We've done a number of interviews like this and with search firms leading searches today for other CEOs because there's such a wave of turnover. We've heard a few themes from them around the need for both operational experience, but also the ability to strategically transform organizations today. Well, as other health systems are undergoing leadership turnover and searches, what do you encourage them to seek in a new leader? 
what you just mentioned are the cards that you have to have to get into the hand. You have to have been in complex environments, been accountable for large groups of people, and been accountable in a way that you have to display some leadership. My bottom line of leadership is, can you take people to a place where they wouldn't ordinarily go? You can get an idea out there, you can really inspire, and they can say, yeah, that's tough and it's not what I'm doing today, but I'm going to give that a chance. I'm going to go there. Those are the basics that you have to have, that you have some operational, financial, and increasingly, my physician colleagues are getting their MBA on the job like I did. They're getting their MBA formally, which I certainly encourage that education. I look for vision and passion. You got to know where you think the better place is, and you really have to have the passion to get there I just don't think it's a blocking and tackling position being really at any senior level of leadership in healthcare. There's so much change and there's so much need. You just have to have a vision for what you believe is better. And you have to have the passion so that you can convince people to follow you there. And that's sort of the extra ingredient. I'm biased in this, but I think to really lead, it helps to have been on the front line of healthcare delivery and really understand how wonderful that is and how really hard it is too. One last question, and this is similar to the first question I asked, but for the new generation of leaders coming in, any unique advice for that group? Learn from everything you do. If it works really, really well, that's fun. It's probably even more important when things crater around you and it seems really dark and you're holding your head, talking to yourself at midnight. Learn from that and don't get discouraged. Everybody fails. The difference is if you learn from your failures or if you let those failures control you. So I would just say you're young, you're going to have a whole bunch of experiences. Be really observant because you can learn from other people's wins and failures. But the key is self-learning. Learn from everything you do. Take the time to stop and reflect on what happened. I certainly was your typical impatient surgical type, but took me a while to figure out that you got to stop and think about things and learn and that that's not wasted time at all. It's probably the most important time. That's what I tell youngsters. It's tough for them to listen to that, but it works. Got to learn from everything. Thanks for that. Wise words. Is there a story or kind of just a pivotal moment in the growth of UVM Health Network that you wanted to get a chance to share here? It was very early on. We were having a tough negotiation getting the couple of New York hospitals into the fold. And the chair of that board came to me and, and the negotiations and the communications was tough. It was clunky and like different languages. He came to me and he said, we had a breakthrough, John. I said, what do you mean? He said, we had a meeting with our consultant yesterday and he got pretty ticked at us. And he said, you guys got to stop wallowing in what you're losing and giving up and think and talk about what you're going to gain by coming together. And sure enough, next time we got together, which was the next week, totally different conversation. How do we bring this together? That's another one of those things that's just burnt in my brain. It's so simple. You'd think it's so intuitive, but that was the classic aha moment. Don't wallow in what you're losing and what you're giving up. 
flip it. What are you gaining? What's the positive side here? I guess if I'd leave you with something, it would be that. Good life lesson. That's a great one. Thanks for letting me squeeze in a couple extra questions. Sure. Dr. Brum said, thank you so, so much for joining us here on SG2 Perspectives. Best of luck in your next endeavor. Hopefully you get to spend time in upstate New York and in Vermont. And thank you again for sharing your perspective with our listeners. Thank you very much, Trevor. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.